Well, good morning to all of you in this worship center. You sounded absolutely phenomenal uh, back there as we listened to you. And um, those of you in the modern worship service there in the fellowship hall, so glad that you're joining us as well. I looked through your order of worship there and I know... You had a wonderful time uh, also, and so we joined together. If you're one of our guests, we joined together for the preaching of the Word of God um, during this second hour. We joined together for two rooms. Some might be watching online. It's amazing how many people do watch online. They can't join us, so happy Easter to all of uh, you as well who are, are watching via our website. Luke chapter 24 is where we are this morning. I invite you to go ahead and turn there if you have a copy of the scriptures. And if you don't have one in this room, there's a Bible in the pew rack right in front of you. You can grab that. Over in the modern service in the fellowship hall, just raise your hand if you need a hard copy of the scriptures. Our deacons will help get you one. Uh, Go ahead and look on your digital device. That's perfectly fine as well. If you can find the gospel of Luke, it's real easy if you're new to Bible study. It's the third book in the New Testament. So if you can find Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 24, the end of the book. We've been walking through the gospel of Luke, if you can believe it, since the beginning uh, of the year. Rather, let's go back a little bit further, since before Christmas. And so we wrap up this book on Easter Sunday morning, Luke chapter 24. I can't wait to share how Jesus made himself known to a couple of his followers. And uh, so Easter Sunday sunrise services are a special thing. Easter Sunday morning always is, but it says in the scriptures that when the women went to the tomb, it was early, it was at dawn. So the sun is coming up. So many churches um, have sunrise services and maybe you've been to one, maybe you've been to one this morning. Already early in the morning, you're traveling in the dark, the sun comes up, it's beautiful. And there's a couple of services that I just uh, remember real well as far as sunrise services. One happened just before we came here to Taylor's. We were visiting some friends in Jacksonville, Florida. And their church hosted a sunrise service right there on the Atlantic Ocean, right there on the beach. My kids still talk about it, and it was dark. And when that sun comes over that water, it is absolutely magnificent. It is beautiful. And what, what a wonderful time to remember uh, the, the, the Easter Sunday morning as we worship together. Move back a little bit to Raleigh. Our days there, we were worshiping at a church, and the site... It was a meaningful morning, but the site just wasn't quite as beautiful. Uh, this church is in a suburban area. I love this church dearly. I love the people that lead it. But on this particular morning, the stage was set up facing Glenwood Avenue. And if you know anything about Raleigh and Glenwood Avenue, there's nothing particularly pretty about Glenwood Avenue. It's a site where um, on Monday, Tuesday, through, uh, through the whole week, you got cars going down to Walmart and McDonald's. The car repair shops were behind us to our left. The old days in was to our right. And when the sun came up, it just wasn't quite the same as the Atlantic Ocean, I promise you. But it was meaningful nonetheless. So I tell you all of that because of my experiences, but I love the story of one of our men here. He served in the Navy as a chaplain for 26 years. And he was serving on an aircraft carrier, the USS Forrestal, that obviously this mammoth boat, 5,000 men, 60 aircraft that are on this. And so the captain knew about this sunrise service that Bill was planning and wanted to have it there on the deck. Can you imagine? 
And here's what the captain did. The captain said uh, to the crew in the dark, hey, let us make sure that we turn this ship in the Mediterranean so that when the sun comes up, everyone can see it clearly. And I thought, that's it. That's our heart here at Taylor's First Baptist Church this morning. Whether you've been coming here for years and years and years and years, or whether maybe this is your very first time coming here. Maybe it's been a while since you've been in church. That's okay. I'm just so glad that you're here. And here's our heart as we come to this incredible text from Luke 24. Our heart is that we turn the ship to the point where you see the Son of God raised up clearly. That you see him and you encounter him this morning. Whether you're a believer or whether you're, you're looking. Whether you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. And Luke does an incredible job of pointing to Christ. He always does in his gospel. As we come to Luke 24, though, let me set the scene for a story that only Luke tells. Matthew and Mark and John, the other gospel writers, they don't tell this story. Luke gives a long account of, of this encounter we're going to walk through. And I think it's because Luke, being a doctor, he's pretty particular. He's a historian. He wants to make sure all the, all the facts are covered. So when it comes to the resurrection, he gives the resurrection story of the women. But then he turns to the story that we're going to look at. Luke wants you to have all the evidence in front of you. He wants to make sure that as you read his story, as you hear me preach through the scriptures this morning, there's a full account and you can, you can check it out for yourself. It reminds me of the, the movie I went to last night, The Case for Christ, starring uh, or featuring Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a newspaper man, award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And Lee Strobel comes to faith in Jesus. But I love the scene in the newsroom. You see this sign behind the newspaper guys saying, you got to have all the evidence in front of you. You want to present the full picture. You want to make sure all, everything is squared away. And the sign said this, if your mother tells you that she loves you, make sure you check it out first, right? This is what Luke is saying. I want you to check this out, all right? And that's why he begins with a story that doesn't put the disciples in a favorable light. If you're questioning the resurrection, if you're questioning this Jesus thing at all, you got to understand what Luke's doing. He, he's going to present the facts. And the facts are these, that when Jesus died, his followers didn't understand. That Easter Sunday morning, you think they would have planned the most beautiful sunrise service imaginable. You can think of the scenes, maybe on top of the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem, maybe there in the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe if we have a service there, Jesus will come walking in where we prayed with him, where we've been alone with him. Maybe up in the Sea of Galilee, can you imagine the sun coming up? The Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walked on the water, where he's calmed the, the, the seas, maybe where, where the Sermon on the Mount, certainly that could be a beautiful place for the sun to come up as we celebrate the resurrected Lord and all of our hope is in what he said. Is that what Luke writes? Absolutely not. <laughs> Couldn't be further from the truth. Here's what he says, that the men are hiding. They're in fear. The women are the ones who come to the tomb, but they're coming not to celebrate the risen Christ who said he would rise again on the third day. They're coming to anoint his body with spices. So they come to this tomb. It's in a cave. Jesus is put in to this cave. He's not a wealthy man. He doesn't have any money really. 
This wealthy Jewish man says, I want to put Jesus in here at least for the beginning time before we bury his body elsewhere. Let's put him in the tomb. And this stone is rolled over it. And when the women come, the stone is rolled away. And they walk in thinking what? His body has been stolen. Something has happened. They want to anoint him. And these angels show up and they hit the ground. They hit their faces because it's great fear to hear an angel talk to you from heaven. And here's what the angel says. Why are you you seeking the living among the dead. He is not here for he has been raised. Amen. He has been raised. He's alive. The power of God has done this. Remember what he said, ladies up in Galilee. Don't you remember all this? It's the first Easter sermon message given by a guy in all white and people hit the floor. How do you like that? He's not here. He's risen. Don't you remember? And it all suddenly clicks and they, they run back. And I don't know how much they fully understood. They run back to the disciples, to those brave men who carried the cross of Christ. Nope. <laughs> those men who are hiding in fear. And it simply says when they told it to the disciples, they didn't believe them. It's crazy. Luke uses a term. As a doctor, he uses a term for when someone's sick that they're so delirious that they just start speaking stuff off the top of their head. It makes no sense. That's the term he uses when the women come barging in. Hey, we believe Jesus is alive. The angels have come to us. You're crazy. And they don't believe. Peter, though, is a little bit curious. He runs to the tomb. He sees it. And he walks away absolutely amazed. But he hasn't seen the Christ yet. So here we come. Luke chapter 24, all that to say, how is Jesus going to come and appear, not to Peter, James, and John, not to the, to the primary disciples that, that followed, not to the 11, because Judas is now dead, but he's going to appear to his disciples, another set of disciples, two of them actually. So if you have your place, Luke chapter 24, read with me in verses 13 through 17. And here's what we do here at Taylor's for the reading of the word of God. We just stand out of reverence for the word, out of respect for the word. So if you'll stand with me, please, in both rooms, if you have your place, Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. So let's begin our journey this morning on Easter Sunday morning. That very day, two of them were going on to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're having with each other as you walk? And they just stood still, looking very, very sad. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word this morning. You see, these disciples are devastated. These are two men who, as Luke says earlier in the chapter, they were in the room when the women came. But now they're on their way to Emmaus. Let me back up. Slip of the tongue. We don't know if they're two men. There's one named Cleopas that we'll find out his name in just a little bit. But the other one could be a female. People have speculated, who is this Cleopas? Um, there's a, a name that's mentioned in John that is similar to his name. Could it be him? Could it be the one that's married to one of the women? Could this be Cleopas and his wife who was following Jesus? But now they're on their way back to their village, Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. 
Could it be someone significant in the life of the early church that Luke points out that other readers would go, oh, that's one of the leaders? We don't know. Could it be just a common man like you and me who followed Jesus, who gave his life to Christ, and he's in the room, and suddenly he says, that's it, I'm done, I'm headed home. Could it be? We don't know for sure, but here is where Jesus finds them incredibly devastated because their world has been rocked over the last few days. They've seen Jesus, the one that they've followed, absolutely brutalized on a cross for them. They, they, they thought, as we'll see in just a little bit, things were going to be entirely different. And when Jesus walks with them and he asks them, tell me about these events that you're talking about, about being in Jerusalem over the past week, or maybe even further back, you're trying to put all this together. That word that Luke uses about their discussion is a very intense discussion. This just isn't just a chat along the way. They are, are grinding out what in the world has happened. This is intense. And Jesus comes to them and he looks at them. And he says, tell me about what's going on. Now, it's somewhat comical that Jesus here is going to play this part. And they're incredibly devastated and they have no hope. They have no hope. Now, now let me pause here just for a second. When it comes to hope, all of us at some point in our lives have been, have had our worlds just completely turned upside down. Now, maybe for some of you, it's a single event. Maybe some of you, it's, it's that phone call you receive. Maybe it's something within your family. Maybe it's uh, something, a tragedy, a sickness. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe the, 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 your world has just caved in. Maybe it was all at once. Maybe for some of you, the hope that you once had is now just seeping away. And over time, you've been living in a state where it's just kind of slowly seeping out. And you can't exactly feel it all the time, but there are mornings that you just wake up and you in your heart have no more hope. Could be a marriage that you just know this isn't going to work. Maybe it could be your children. Man, your heart is just broken over your children. You know, there's nothing, nothing that you can do anymore about it. Maybe it's, maybe it's your work. I, I don't know what it is. There's so many scenarios here, but every single person struggles with misplaced hope. And these disciples did as well. And Jesus wants to come to them on resurrection Sunday morning and speak to them about true hope and speak to you and me. And he does this in a powerful way. Now he comes to them and it says that they don't recognize him. Now we could maybe surmise, you know, hey, look, Jesus is bloodied on the cross. He's beaten his, his face is covered and his body. Prophet Isaiah said that there's no way you're going to be able to, to understand it and make out the figure of the one who is going to suffer for you. You can imagine all that Jesus went through, what he looked like on the cross. And maybe when he shows up, they just don't recognize him. That could be one explanation, but I don't think that's it. It could be just another setting or another place where it's like you. You don't recognize some like a coworker. You see him in a different place and they're dressed differently. And so you suddenly just go, oh, okay, I don't recognize. It's like some of you in the grocery store. I see you. And when I got my ball cap on, I got my hoodie on, I got my shorts on, tennis shoes on, I don't, I don't look like this, and I come walking in, and I see you, and you're looking at me, and it hasn't clicked in yet. And it's like, oh, pastor, we didn't even recognize you. Why? Because you look like a bum today, but that's all right, you know? 
Okay, that could be it. I don't think that's it either. In fact, I know it's not. It's in verse 16. It says that there was something supernatural. Verse 16, look at it. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Luke uses this term before, and it means that there's a supernatural force from the Spirit of God who comes and says, not now. Not time for you to recognize Christ yet. This, this happened when Jesus told him in Luke 9, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer and die for you. And it says that they were kept from understanding these things. It wasn't ready yet. So, so Jesus isn't ready yet to reveal himself like he does to the woman when he, when, when he shows up and she sees Jesus for the very first time and she just falls on her feet. These guys don't get it. <laughs> they don't get it because heaven has said not yet. So they begin walking seven miles to Emmaus. We don't know where Emmaus is now, but we know it's seven miles. If you were to walk out this door and go to the Bon Secours Wellness Center, did I get that right? It used to be called the Bilo Center. It used to be easier to say that. For some of you, the Greenville Memorial Auditorium, for some of you old timers, that's seven miles away. So think of that. Walking out our door, walking down to the, to the, the wellness center, seven miles away. It would roughly take about two hours if it's two men. Maybe not. I know some of you type A dads, you've already got this thing caught. They could do it in two hours. No bathroom breaks, a bad lunch. We could do it in an hour 40 flat. I know that's what some of you are thinking. We could do this quick, but they're having this discussion. And Jesus comes to them and Jesus is going to give them hope. Jesus is going to give us hope this morning. How so? All right. Follow along with me. Let's pick up the story in verse 18. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. All right. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You, if you've been in Jerusalem any amount of time and you have no clue what is happening. And he said to them, what things? Jesus is playing along here. So they said to him, and they just pour their hearts out. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, he was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. But then our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. I'm going to underscore that. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So here is what they are expressing thought number one to hang your your hat on from our text this morning if you're taking notes hope at times hope at times looks far different than you expect hope in christ hope in the resurrection looks far different than what we expect think of these men think of these followers of jesus they're committed they're devoted but their hope was misplaced. Their hope was far removed from the true meaning of the cross and the empty tomb. And they don't fully understand it yet. And maybe your hope is misplaced as well. We're all subject to that. 
And what these men, even as they articulate the gospel, what these men are reminding us is that even as followers of Jesus, even me as a pastor, I can place my hope in things. I can be a devoted Christ follower, but I can devote my entire hope, my heart, my soul, my mind, my energy, my, my reward, my acceptance, everything in something else besides Jesus. And if I do that, there's going to be a day where I'm going to crash and I'm going to fall into despair. Some of you might be there now. I'm going to put something on the screen for you here. And I, I want you to answer this question. All right. What is it that you're hoping for? And I want you to fill in the blank. Like these men who said, Jesus didn't come through for us like we hoped. We'll just leave it up there, guys. Thank you so much. Jesus didn't come through for us like we hoped. He, 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 was, he was a prophet. He had all the characteristics. And I don't know if they're angry. I don't know if they're frustrated. I don't know if they're discouraged. I don't know all the emotions that are there. But here's what they're saying. Jesus was mighty in word and in deed. He was a prophet. He had all the potential in the world to redeem Israel. Now, here's the lens they're thinking of. Here's their blank. Their blank is that Jesus is going to come and he's going to make life better for the Jewish people. Politically, with Rome, uh, monetarily, culturally, everything about Jewish life is going to be elevated. And, and this is what the prophets look for, for us to overcome our enemies. So they're saying, Jesus, we had hope that you would redeem Israel politically or culturally. But Jesus, you didn't come through like we had hoped. We're disappointed. Our, our, hope, our hope is looking over here. And here's what I want you to, to, to understand. And here's what I want you to ask yourself. If you had to fill in that blank this morning, what would your hope be in? Blank didn't come through like we hoped. My, 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 my wife, I, I'm struggling with her. If I had to be honest with you and she hasn't come through like I hoped. Oh, my husband, he's not even a follower of Jesus. And he, he just doesn't, he, he doesn't, he hasn't come through at all for our family like we had hoped. You know, he's supposed to lead our home. All our hopes in him. My children are a wreck. Man, we brought them to church every single Sunday, every single Sunday night, every single Wednesday. We, they were in church every time the doors were open. And now look, my children didn't come through like we hoped. My career Oh, it's turned upside down. If you knew the unfairness of the people that, that dictate to me my occupation and my career, if you knew what they did, to, it, it, my job hasn't come through like I hoped. Here's one. If we're honest, my life hasn't come through like I hoped. I've messed up. I've given up. There's no more hope. And whatever is in that blank this morning, whatever is in that blank is where you are putting all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And these men, or Cleopas and this other individual, they simply admitted Jesus hadn't come through like we hoped. Now here's the incredible thing. They share the gospel as well. All right, keep that in your mind. 
and they share the gospel. They, they don't know that they're sharing the gospel, but they, they share this incredible news that, that Christ has come and he was mighty in word and deed, sent by God, but his chief priests and the scribes and the rulers put him to death. And, and it probably here's what they're thinking. If he was so powerful and he was so perfect because we didn't see him do any sin, Peter later writes, he didn't have any sin. If he was so perfect, then, then how in the world could he be humiliated and shamed and suffered and, and beaten like that? Why, why would he let himself do that? Because our hope is in a redeemer for, for Israel and, and not some suffering man on a cross. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing, honestly, that we followed him for three years. Why, why would the chief? Why would he allow them to do that? He could have. He could have told those authorities, "I am your authority. I'm from heaven." We saw he had it in him, but he didn't do it, and he didn't come through for us. Now the third day, this, the story of the angels coming and telling the, the women that he is alive, just, just like he said, we, we don't fully understand this. And here's the gospel. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Here's my number one job this morning is to share with you, all of you, but particularly those of you this morning and you've come in and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. And I just want to say, I'm so Happy that you have come. I'm so thrilled that you are here. But here, I prayed for you last night. And I prayed for you this morning that your eyes would not be covered, but the Holy Spirit would lift him to understand what Cleopas was saying, even in his frustration and even in his hurt. And he was saying that Jesus came and lived a perfect life because we were imperfect. That sin had separated us from our Heavenly Father. And because of that, not only were we separated our sin, but judgment and wrath was coming upon us. And so now Jesus was going to step in. I'll do it. I'll willingly be the sacrifice. If you want me to do that, Father. And he was sacrificed for your sin and for my sin. My sin was on Christ on that cross so that I could be forgiven and that the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus on Good Friday on that cross when it was dark, his body ravaged with pain, his emotions and his soul tormented all because my sin is on him, your sin and the wrath of God instead of coming towards me is now on Christ and he can forgive me because of that. And now because of the empty tomb, here's the second part. Now because there's the cross, but the empty tomb, there's the power of the new life. You can be changed. You can be transformed. He isn't in the grave any longer. He's alive. He's well. He's walking on the road to Emmaus. And now he has the power to transform your life. You come to him for forgiveness. He transforms you. He gives you a new heart, a new life. You're a new creation, it says in the New Testament. And now your hope is in Christ and in the cross and the empty tomb, not on anything else. And is this your story? Is this your Easter morning story? Not that you came to church, not that you heard, the, heard our people sing, you saw the baptisms, but here's the number one question. Have you trusted in Christ completely? You know, in that movie last night, The Case for Christ, there's this great scene where Lee Strobel, he finally realizes, spoiler alert, <laughs> he realizes the evidence is in. Jesus is who he says he is. 
And he asks the question, why would he do that then? And here's the answer. Love. Love for you. Jesus could have avoided all of that. But he loves you so much that he longs to bring you to himself through Christ. And in that is true hope. I invite some of you this morning to receive that hope. Jesus says, how do you, how do you get it? You simply do this. Turn from your sin. Turn, do, do, a, do a 180 from your sin and yourself and run to Christ this morning. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, that blank still lives. You know what? It doesn't go away once you become a follower of Jesus. We still have a blank that we're trusting in. And, and if we do this, if we stay aligned with the love of the Father on the cross, think of that for you. His love for no self-esteem issues at the cross. And you think of the great power to transform your life, the love of the Father, the power of the Holy Spirit. You put your hope in that this morning. Here's the second thing. Read with me this, this next part. I, I love what, how Jesus responds to him. And, and, you know, Jesus is probably about to burst at this point. <laughs> he is probably thinking as he's walking, I don't know where he along the road. I don't know if it's down Wade Hampton. I don't know if he's halfway there yet, but he is about to burst. And look at what he breaks out. And he says in verse 25 to 27, he says to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? It's mandatory that the Christ should suffer. And then enter into his glory, this glory of the resurrection. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Thought number two this morning is this, that hope is weaved into God's overarching plan that's laid out in the Bible, but stamped by Jesus. All right, we'll leave it up there so you can write it down for some of you taking notes. Hope is weaved into God's plan, laid out in the scriptures, laid out in the Bible, and stamped and marked by Jesus. So here's what Jesus is doing. He is reminding them, before they even fully recognize him, how important the word of God is, how important God's control over all things is, how God has been working and weaving throughout history, moving history towards Jesus and towards the ultimate hope. And we forget that this morning. We forget that in the scriptures, the word of God is precious because it contains for you hope, the hope of Christ. I, I love this, this Bible that we would read to our kids when they were, were little. It's 10 years old now, but it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. The Jesus Storybook Bible, if you're interested. It's for children who you're reading to them or maybe they're just starting to read and it's got these wonderful stories and pictures. But here's the, here's the subtext. The Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers his name. And really, we see this in Luke chapter 24 as Jesus comes in and says, all of the scriptures point to me. And because of that, the scriptures just aren't something where there's a story here and a wonderful story here. And I like the story here. Ooh, that's a bad guy there. Ooh, that's a villain there. Oh, that's a hero over there. Oh, all these rules over here. And it's kind of all disjointed. And it's, but here's what Jesus does when he comes. He says, if you want true hope is found in me, as you see God's control over all of history, over all of 
Scripture, everything from heaven. God is sending down in the word and it climaxes in me. And he lays this out for them in a beautiful way. This helps us, folks. This helps us understand that if you think life is out of control, if you think things are just spinning haphazardly, take heart that God is working and weaving through his scriptures the hope that you need this morning. Maybe Jesus was walking with these individuals and he starts in the, in the book of Genesis. The Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament then. The Old Testament is made up of, of the books of the law, the first five books that Moses wrote, the history of the people of the nation of Israel, and then the prophets and the poets. It's a generalization of the Old Testament. So maybe Jesus comes in and he, he is walking with these, with these individuals and he says, you know what, let me start. Can I, can I start in the Garden of Eden in Genesis? You remember when Adam and Eve, when they, when they sinned and they took the fruit and they blew this whole thing up. The whole world starts spinning out of control. Do you remember that? And because of that sin, everything now has to be redeemed. Everything now has to be fixed. Maybe those individuals say, yeah, Jesus, we remember what Moses said. He said, okay, do you remember that scene when God comes to the garden and there's chaos and there's crying and weeping, mourning, and there's going to be separation and, and there's judgment coming. But God says, hold on, hold on, hold on, Adam and Eve. There's going to be a baby that's going to be born. It's going to be a man. He's going to come one day and his heel is going to be bruised. And that man was Jesus. And that man was on the cross. He maybe looks at him and says, that was me. The man who had his heel bruised. Look, look at the bruises. Look how the serpent, look how the evil one bruised me. But he says, you remember what God said? That in the garden, you would bruise, the serpent would bruise his heel. But the man would stomp and crush his head. Hey, it's Resurrection Sunday. Guess what? We've done some snake killing around here, Jesus says. All right. It's done. It's done. Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember that? Yeah, Jesus, I, I think we do. He maybe comes to, to Abraham. He says Abraham was an old man and, and he was 100 years old and he had a baby and his wife was way past childbearing. And she said, there's no way that a child can come. Hey, do you remember my story? You remember Mary? Kind of her story too, right? You remember that? Well, guess what? A baby comes and it's Isaac and God tells I, Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. He says, can I tell you? Can I tell you? I am Isaac. And the father has said, would you lay down your life? And just as that teenage boy laid down his life before father Abram, I'm him. And I laid down my life before my father. I could have run from, but I was sacrificed. But guess what? So I'm Isaac guys, but guess what? I'm also the ram in the thicket because Isaac is spared because the ram is coming. I'm the one who wasn't spared. I am the sacrifice. I am the substitute. Are you getting it? Yeah, Jesus, we're getting it. Hey, the Passover. Love the Passover. We love to eat that meal, but guess what? Guess what? When that lamb was killed and the blood was put over and the people are free, I'm the lamb of God. Do you see that? I'm the one whose blood has been, been spilled so that when the angel of judgment comes over and the people are free so that you can be free, everything's pointing to me. Joshua, my namesake in the old covenant, he takes the people, a rebellious people, and he moves them over to a place of great rest. That is what I'm here to do. David, I love David. I love the king. 
But he was this little shepherd boy in the Old Testament. We think he was, he was this incredible king that ruled, but he started from humble beginnings. And everyone looked at his brothers and said, they must be the one. And he was rejected. But guess what? The rejected shepherd has come and now rules and reigns. And today the resurrection has proven that I am ruling and reigning. I am King David. The prophets talked about me. They, they said that, that the one is going to come and he is going to suffer. And they preached and they were rejected. I'm the prophet who is rejected. But I am now alive. The poet, the ones that the poets would sing about and pray to and cry out to and rejoice in and give us worship. I am their inspiration. I am the one through whom all of scripture has been pointing. In me, you can find hope. In the scriptures, you can find hope. So don't have your head in the clouds. Find yourself in the word of God and find great hope because I'm here. I love that. Makes sense to the scriptures now. I love what Paul Tripp said. He's a great writer. I love to read him. And he says this, that you don't study the winds of change for hope and peace. You study the pages of the word given to you by the one who controls those winds. Some of you this morning, you're trying to control the winds. You're trying to arrange your life in such a way, and it's frustrating. May you find your hope in the word. Here's the last thing this morning. Hope transforms us as we find intimacy with Jesus. Let me read through this quickly. It speaks for itself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And here it is. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He vanishes from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Hope transforms us as you find intimacy with Jesus. In the resurrection appearances, they're eating. They're at a table. There's fellowship. There's into this signals intimacy and they look at Jesus and they, maybe they hear the voice. Maybe they see the hands. Maybe they understand the words that he uses, the words that he prayed when he broke the bread earlier, maybe with the 5,000, maybe, maybe during the Passover meal, but the Holy spirit lifts their eyes and they see him. And it says, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures we saw Christ in the scriptures. Didn't our hearts just burn when we saw Christ? Maybe for some of you looking for hope this morning, maybe your heart is warmed and moved. Maybe it's empty, but you're sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to you directly, just as Jesus did to them. You can be transformed this morning. You can leave all the sin and the guilt all the fear, 
You can leave it all behind as he transforms your heart. It's also a beautiful reminder. I love this. That as they see Jesus bodily, we too will be resurrected with him. I think it's important to note that as we bury our, our friends and our family members, as we've buried your moms, as we've buried your dads, as we buried your people that you worship with, as, you buried, as we buried even children over the last few weeks, that mom looking at me in her living room and saying, we just looked at her and we, we saw what she looked like and we saw her, her face and her fingers and her hands and pastor, what will she look like in heaven? And I don't have a great theological answer because I don't know exactly what she's going to look like, but I do know this, is as Jesus sat at that table with with a body that had been resurrected, 1 Corinthians 15 declares that because he has been bodily raised, we will too. And I can look at that mom and I can say to her and I can look at you with your husband or your wife or your friends who are followers of Jesus and I can say because of Easter Sunday morning and he has bodily been raised, if your members of your family are followers of Jesus, they will be raised too. There will be this incredible recognition one day with them but as we close, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to just have a song of commitment in both rooms, and here's, here's what I want you to think about. Number one, for those of you who, this morning, this gospel story is not your own. It's distant. Will you make it your own this morning? Will you... Will you take a step of faith maybe you already believe about Jesus but there's something holding you back will you give your life to him this morning as soon as I get done praying I'll be down front and you can come forward and we'll take you in a private place a quiet place and just open the word of God now listen here's the temptation to say I'll do it later you might but you might not this could be the day where Jesus is looking squarely at you and saying, today's the day. I would welcome you. We don't look down on you. We would love you and share with you this incredible hope. For the rest of us, maybe it's time to get reconnected at the table with Jesus again. Your life is spinning over here. Your life is going 90 to nothing over here. But your life is just in the doldrums. Your, your life just isn't going, it's not purposeful. And you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's time to be transformed by the hope that Jesus gives when you reconnect with him. Will you do that this morning? Will you see him? And will you pray to him? Will you open your heart to him? As we pray together now. Father, we will rush out of here quickly and we'll go to our cars and we'll eat lunch and we'll rest and we'll have a day in which we'll take a, a Sabbath. We, we, we will reflect and we will be quiet and we will have fun with our family and with our friends. But 
But Father, you know there are people here where their eternity is hanging in the balance. And they'll walk out of here and maybe never hear the gospel ever again or never respond to it again. So Lord, I pray for them. I lovingly call them through your spirit in both rooms to step forward and to follow Christ. And then Father, for us as believers, would you rekindle our hope? May it not be in whatever's on that blank line, but may it be in the cross and the empty tomb. For Jesus is indeed all that we need. So thank you, Lord, for this time. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name.